That was great. Don't you guys think so? I love that song. Uh, open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. Continuing along, continuing along in our study, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 7 through verses 11. 1 John 2, 7 through 11, reads like this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Thank you, Will. Thank you to the kids. They did a great job. That's our children's choir, better known as Garrett and the Girls. So they did an excellent job, and uh, I enjoy when they're up here, and uh, they do a great job. Uh, as Pastor Will said, we're going to be in First John chapter 2 today, First John chapter 2, and as we uh, turn there, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful that we can study your word. We're thankful for this passage of scripture, and as we head through this, this book of First John, this epistle that um, the beloved disciple wrote, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to, to understand with a greater understanding of what it means to love one another. And Lord, I just thank you again, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. The idea of loving one another is something I think we all know we're supposed to do. But how hard is it to love certain people? We're, we're aware that we're to love one another. We, we've been in the Bible enough. We know that enough to know that that is a command that we're supposed to follow. We're even aware that Scripture says we're to love our enemies. But let's be honest. Sometimes it's not easy, is it? I mean, there are many different types of people in your life. There are those in your life that are easy to love. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's not, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Those certain people that, that love just comes naturally. I mean, love just is, it's not hard to do. I, I've mentioned, and just recently I mentioned her, I mentioned my grandma a few times. My grandma was one of those type of people. I never met anyone who didn't love my grandma. In fact, about a year ago, I did a wedding here at church, and uh, the, the, the groomsmen that were in it uh, began talking to them, and I didn't know them and never met them before, and, and two of them were from uh, my grandmother's church, and they knew my grandmother when they were uh, little boys. My grandma passed away about 18 years ago, and they knew my grandma, and they were like, she was the greatest woman ever. That was my grandma. I've mentioned her before. She's the one that called me Peta, uh, and I, she was from New Hampshire. Okay, she had an interesting accent, but she was the type of person that lit up the room when she walked in. She was the type of person, her personality was just magnetic. You know what I mean? And she was fun. She laughed. She enjoyed life. She taught me games, and, and I enjoyed being with my grandma. Even at the times when she had to correct me, it didn't really feel like she was correcting me. It kind of felt like she was just, you know, loving me again. And so uh, she was just that type of person. She was easy to love, and, and I miss her very much. Then there's those type of people in life that, that challenge you. But because of your relationship with them, it's, it's easy to love them as well. Maybe when you were a, a, a kid, uh, you had a sibling that was that way. I mean, a sibling that, man, they knew how to get under your skin, and it was just like, it was constant irritation, but man, you loved them. I mean, you just loved them, and, and no matter how much they irritated, you still loved them. Maybe you had someone like that in your life today. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a, a relative, maybe, maybe, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your kids, but you have someone like that in your life that, though they can be a challenge, yet it's really, it's easy to love them because of the relationship you have. And then there's those that you don't really know that well. 
Um, maybe you interact with them once in a while. Maybe, maybe your kids go to the same school and so you see them. Maybe, maybe your kids play on the same sports teams and so you end up at the same place. Your conversations are always great. They're, they're always civil. Uh, you, have, you have no problem talking to them. In fact, you enjoy talking to them, but uh, you, don't, you don't really spend a lot of time with them. But really, those type of people are still easy to love. But then there's that final group. Those ones that are nearly impossible to love. Whether it's because they hurt you at some point or your family. Or maybe it's because something they stand for that you don't agree with. Or maybe it's just because they have an annoying personality. Are you still supposed to love them? Those ones are the tough ones to love. Maybe you've heard of stories, of plenty of stories of people who, who found ways to love people that they really shouldn't love. I think of the story, I was just reading up on this again, just read an article recently about this, about if you remember a few years ago when the, the man walked into an Amish schoolhouse and, and killed a bunch of kids and, and, and adults, and I don't know if you remember that story, and then the story went on to say that those Amish families uh, uh, forgave but also embraced the man who did this family, showed them love. Show them compassion. And, and we think, and we look at those type of stories, and we think, how is that possible? I just recently heard about one where uh, this, this person, uh, this family got home to find out that their house had been broken into and, and many things had been stolen. And so uh, they called the police. The police ended up finding the individual, and the individual was, was thrown in jail. And then the family found out that the reason this individual did it was because he lost his job. Uh, he was going through a financial crisis. He, uh, he had declared bankruptcy, and because of all that had gone on, he was living in his car, and they felt bad, and, so, and they felt compassion upon this individual, and so they, they didn't press any charges. Not only that, they helped him pay his bills. And we sit in there and think, how, how can you love like that? So as we begin this message this morning, I want to ask you uh, a few questions that I want you to think about as I'm preaching. First of all, why do we love one another? Second, is our love or our lack of love a test of our salvation? And then third, is it impossible for an unsaved person to love others? Before we get too involved in the text, I'm going to look at the context of the book. And as I said last week, we're going through a study of 1 John, but we're not hitting on every single verse. We're kind of uh, jumping around a little bit. And so uh, I, I want to just kind of give you a summary of the part that we're skipping today. If you remember last week, we looked at chapter 1, verses 5 down to chapter 2, verse 2. And in that, we talked about how uh, John was addressing some false ideas that people had, uh, that they were taught, and uh, that they thought that they were sinless. They thought they walked in the truth while, while they were actually living in darkness. And John said, you're, you're lying to yourself, and therefore, because of that, you're making God a liar. You're actually a sinner. And, and then he says in chapter 2, he says, now, now, you're not supposed to sin, but we're all going to sin. And so when we sin, we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney. We have someone who's going to be on our side that's going to plead our case, and that is Jesus Christ. And, and the reason he can plead our case is because he died for our sins. Well, then we get into chapter 2, and chapter 2, uh, as we go on through verses 3 through 6, John begins to encourage his readers not to sin, and he, he says this. He says that there are evidences that you are in the light. And what are they? Well, he says in verse 3, uh, he says, if you keep my commandments. Verse 6, he says, if you abide in me, then I know that you are walking in the light. But then he takes these commandments that he talks about, and he, he narrows it down to one specific commandment, and that's what we want to talk about today. One specific commandment that he says, as believers, we are to follow. I have four points to talk about this this morning. First of all, believers are to love one another because God commands it. Look at verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you, have, that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. First of all, he starts off and he says, Beloved. Now, you look through this epistle written by John, and you will see numerous places where he uses that type of language. 
Okay, so first of all, it tells us a few things. Number one, it tells us he is talking to people who profess Christ. He's talking to people who say, who claim to be Christians. But secondly, he is talking to people that he genuinely cared for. Uh, these are people that he looked out and he, he had a genuine love for. Uh, 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 an author said this, William Barclay, he said, there is something very lovely here. So much of this letter is a warning, and parts of it are even a rebuke. When we are warning people and rebuking people, it's so easy to become coldly critical. It's so easy to scold. It's even possible to take cruel pleasure in seeing people wince under your verbal lashing. But even when he has hard things to say, the the attitude of John's voice is filled with love. That's very true. So what does he say? What does he say? What does John say to a group of people he loves? And by the way, the group of people he loves would include you and I. What does he say? Look what he says. First of all, he starts off, verse 7, he says, I am writing you no new commandment. Now, John had been talking about the commands back in verses 3 and 6. He's talking about the commands in in a general sense, but now he narrows these down to a single command. And this command uh, is not really stated until we get to uh, one of the later verses, but it's implied as we go through that, and that is the command to love one another. We'll we'll talk about that as we get a little further in here. But it's, it's not stated, but it's clear what he's talking about. And he says, this is no new command. Why did he say that? Well, this, the Jewish people had been taught to love one another. Just two weeks, I, I referenced this, two weeks ago, I referenced this verse when we were talking about the, the Good Samaritan. And remember in the story of the Good Samaritan when, when the lawyer uh, says, you know, what is, how do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what do you read? And he says, I'm supposed to love the Lord my God and my neighbor as myself. That was a quote from the Old Testament. And one of those verses was here in, in Leviticus where where the law says you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is something that the Jewish people would have been taught from the moment of of birth all the way up, is that you are to love your neighbor. This command is nothing new. It's something that God has always and will always expect of his followers, that you are to love others that you are to love them. He, go, he goes on and he says this. Not only is this uh, an old commandment, but he says you've had it from the beginning. Now, that question makes us ask, what does he mean by the beginning? Oftentimes in Scripture we see beginning, we automatically think it is, means like the very beginning when God created everything. Uh, that's not what it means here. Sometimes we look and we see, okay, beginning, that means like uh, you know, when God wrote the law. That's not what he means here. What he's talking about here is very specific to the individual he's talking about. How do we know that? Because look what he says there in verse 7. An old commandment that you, okay, who's he writing to? He's writing to people, these readers. He's saying that you had from the beginning. So obviously he's talking, not talking about the beginning of time or, or the beginning of man. He's talking about something very personal in the lives of these individuals. He goes on at the end of that verse and he says that you had from the beginning. That phrase there means it's, the beginning there is when the re- John's readers first heard the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ came to earth. Now, why did he come to earth? Because every one of us are sinners. You and I have all transgressed the law of God. And because we have transgressed the law of God, therefore the Bible tells us that we deserve punishment. God's holiness requires punishment. But God was not satisfied, and, and because of his love, he was not okay with punishing all. And so he sent his son Jesus to be our, as it says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, to be our propitiation, to be our substitute. And from that moment, when you come and you understand, I am a sinner, there is no way that I can save myself. There's no way that I can free myself from the penalty of that sin. The only possible thing I can do is trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That is the summation of the gospel. And what John is saying is, since that point, from that point, when you came to that realization, you have known that you are to love. That's why he's saying this is no new commandment, this is an old commandment, because it's something, basically what he's saying is, from from the outset of their Christian life, John's readers had been taught the importance of loving one another. This is not something that they've never heard. Uh, John was telling them this, this uh, truth, and it wasn't something he invented. 
John Calvin put it this way. John reminds us that he was teaching nothing but what they had heard by, by the faithful before them concerning the love that they are to have for all. But how often do we forget truths that we've known for a long time? How often do we do that? The command to love one another is a command that is to be obeyed. Why? Because it was given by God. Not, not just today, uh, not just a few years ago. It was something that was given by God many, many, many years ago. But secondly, believers are to love one another because Jesus taught it. Look at verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. Now, what? (laughs) Wait a second, John, you're confusing me. You just said that this is an old commandment. This is a commandment that's been around for a long time. This is a commandment that God gave us, and, and it's something that the Jews understood. And so you said it's an old commandment, but now you come to us and you say, but at the same time, it's a new commandment. What are you talking about? What? How can it be both? How can it be an old commandment and a new commandment? I want to give you two reasons why I believe that it can be an old commandment and at the same time a new commandment. This is why I believe that he's saying it's a new commandment. In your notes you have these. It is, it is new in its example. I think the best way to understand this is, is, is looking back and comparing this with something that Jesus taught his disciples. And so you go back to John chapter, uh, uh, chapter 13. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, which, by the way, John, who wrote 1 John, was there. Okay? So he's, he's hearing this teaching and, and listening to what's being said. Notice what it says there. A new commandment, Jesus is speaking, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's not new. But what does it say next? Just as I have loved you. Later on in John, he, Jesus says a very similar thing. He says, uh, this is a, a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. See, the addition that Jesus made to the commandment was not to love, because we understand that, but now he is saying this. In, in other words, what he's saying is, is, is I, love is now personified through me. I am your example of that. Jesus is telling all of his followers, hey, I, I am the one that used to be followed. What was Jesus' love like? I mean, think about while he was on earth. Now, when, when John wrote that in John chapter 13, or when Jesus spoke it, I should say, uh, Jesus had not yet died. Okay? Obviously, that was a great example of his love. But even leading up to that, how did Jesus interact with people? It's amazing to look how Jesus interacted with people. Jesus did things that, that blew people's minds because of his love. I mean, Jesus was the type that uh, when, when people came up to him, the, the worst of worst, the people that everyone else turned their back on, Jesus showed them compassion. Jesus was the type that when the disciples said, hey, send these kids away, Jesus said, no, 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 no. Allow, suffer the children to come to me. Jesus was the type that always, always was looking for ways to show love and compassion. And he says here, love one another as I have loved you. But then he goes beyond just the way he lives, but the way he died. That Jesus Christ came for the sole purpose of dying for you. To love like the Master, to love like Jesus, means that we love sacrificially, selflessly, even to the point of death. Or or I think a better way to put it for us today is, as it says in Romans chapter 12, that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. That we place ourselves on the altar and say, God, whatever you want me to do. And, 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 you know, we look at this and we see, this is a phrase that we see other places in Scripture. In fact, uh, in, in Ephesians, when Paul is teaching on the family, what does he say about uh, the relationship between the husband and wife? He says, husbands, love your wife, how? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Now the question that arises when I begin thinking about this phrase here in John chapter 13 and and, and the, the phrase in Ephesians where it talks about loving as Christ loved, the question I have is how can I as a fallen man ever love the way Christ did? 
Because Christ had a, had a uh, beautiful way of handling people, but Christ was also perfect. And so sometimes I think that we, we excuse ourselves, well, I'm a sinner. You know, and, and as Christ loved the church is how I am to love my wife. And there's, there is many times uh, on a daily basis that I don't show her that type of love. So how can I, as a fallen individual, love the way Christ loved? First of all, you must be a child of God. You must be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you must enjoy and and desire to yield of your will to the will of Jesus Christ, which means at times yielding of your will to the will of those around you. That is love. And so this, this new love is new because of its example, but secondly, it is new because of its emphasis. You see, in the Old Testament, the command that God gave to his people were many. Uh, and uh, it, if you're, how, how many of you are read through the Bible? Just kind of go straight through. If you, if you are, you're probably somewhere in uh, the ballpark of uh, Exodus or Leviticus, and so you're getting into some really heavy commandments of God, right? And you're starting getting into stuff where you're, you're like, man, these, uh, really, did they have to follow these? Um, and uh, my, my daughter's, not supposed to mention her, but I'm going to. My daughter's reading through the Bible, and, and uh, yesterday she comes in, she just read through the Bible, and she goes, man, and I'm going to quote this wrong, but she said, man, if, if we're supposed to follow all these commandments, we would all be dead. Right? And that's true. We would, wouldn't we? But here's the interesting thing, as you, um, as you think about these, all these commandments in the Old Testament, when you come to the New Testament, uh, there's one command that it seems to be lifted up and given, uh, given a place uh, of importance, and that is to love one another. You say, what do you mean by that? Look, look at this passage, this is an interesting one. Here Paul is writing in chapter 12 and 13 of Romans are, are very practical. They're about, uh, about interactions with other people and how we're, how we're to interact. And, and, and Paul says this, Owe no man anything, what, except to love each other. For the, love who, uh, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's incredible. For the, command, for, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commands are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, does no wrong to the neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. This, this explains the fact that love is the fulfillment of God's law. That is why John says that love one another is a new commandment, because it's new in its emphasis. It's not, it's not simply one of the commandments, it's, step, it's, it's a step above. That is why when we talked about the Good Samaritan and the lawyer said, hey, in order to have eternal life, I must, I, I must love God and I must love my neighbor. And what, what did Jesus say? You have said well. Because Jesus understood that that was a, a, a priority. Yes, we're to love God, but we're, we're to love one another. And, this, this, and so it's new in its emphasis. It's, it rises above. Then John adds some interesting phrases at the end of verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. He says, um, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That, that phrase there, which is true in him and in you. Well, what is true? Uh, he's not saying that the commandment is true because we know that's true. God says we are to love. He has said that all the way through. Even how he interacted with Adam and Eve and beyond, we know that we are to love. And so it's, it's something that, it, it, obviously that's true. That's not what he's talking about there. What he is saying is true is that it's a new commandment. But not only that, then he says this is true. And then what he says in him, who's him? Him is Jesus Christ and in you. What, what is he declaring there? He's saying this, that, that uh, it was seen in the life of Christ and is also to be seen in the life of the believer. Jesus showed the reality of this new command for di- by dying for sinners, but also by living his earthly life, an example of, of what li- love should be for others. 
And he says that it should be displayed. And so this new commandment, which, which is a truly new commandment in the sense of its emphasis and its example, is seen in Christ and in you. And in there, John's commending them. But then he says this, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Um, we started this whole discussion of darkness last week and, and, and John carries it through to this passage today. And uh, darkness here is not uh, uh, physical, but it's spiritual darkness. When Jesus Christ came to earth as the God-man, his light began to expose and then at the same time expel darkness. Because of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the darkness of sin began to be attacked by the love of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was that true light who came to bring spiritual light into a dark world. And he continues to do so. And as he continues to shine his light into uh, the hearts and lives of people, then in turn, the hearts and lives of people who, are, who have come to Christ, their light begins to shine. And that's the idea of what he's saying here when he's saying the darkness is passing away, true light is beginning to shine. So we see that believers are to love one another, first of all, because it was commanded by God. Secondly, because it was taught by the life of Jesus Christ. But thirdly, believers are to love one another because they are not in darkness. John then goes back to um, those claimers that we talked about last week, those who claim to be in Christ, but yet they were living in darkness. And he begins to address those people who said, hey, they were walking in truth, even though they were still walking in darkness. And, and, and John told us last week, as we looked at the passage, that those things ought not to be so. You should not be people who are saying, uh, yes, I, I walk in the light while you're still living in darkness. And, and remember he said, you're actually lying to yourself, you're deceiving yourself. But then, then he continues on with that, and he says in, in, in verse 9, he says, whoever says, this is very similar, last week the phrase he used was, um, in, in chapter 1 was, if we say, or if we confess, uh, if, if we say this, if we say this, if we say this, this is a similar idea, he says, whoever says he is in the light. That's an easy thing to say at times, isn't it? It's an easy thing to say that you're a Christian in today's world. Even though Christians at times are ridiculed and mocked, yet what's interesting is it's easy for people, in fact, it's actually advantageous for people at times to claim to be a Christian. We see that in the political world. I think even we see that in the sports world at times. I'm not questioning if people are truly saved. I'm not saying that, but there is a that there is a positive thing sometimes in doing it. And sometimes it's easier to do that, yet you look and you see sometimes, like, eh, your life doesn't reflect that. You're claiming that you're in the light, but you, you're really not. There's no evidence. Remember we said last week, being in the light meant you walk in Christ. Or you walk, or your, your conduct, your life follows the truths of the Word of God consistently. And he says here, whoever says he's in the light, whoever says he is following Christ, and then what does he say next? And hates his brother. That's harsh, isn't it? I mean, that's, a, that's a harsh thing to say. You know, I mean, no one here would say this, right? I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really say that. I mean, that's such a strong word. Um, I have... Always attempted to tell to teach my kids and, and when I was a youth pastor teach teach the teens like don't I don't ever want to hear you say you hate someone that's a pretty strong statement but here John is saying if you say you walk in light but you hate your brother well what does he mean first of all brother there is 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 not referring to a blood relative he's not referring to someone that lives under the same roof of you John is addressing those who know Christ John is addressing all people who claim to know Jesus Christ who claim to have been saved have placed their faith in Jesus Christ whether they actually have or not he's talking about all of those who claim Christianity and he says there uh, if you walk in the light but yet you hate your brother 
Now, this does not mean that we can hate those who don't claim Christ. That's not what he's saying. We see other places in Scripture that talk about. But specifically, what he is talking about in this passage is the relationships inside not only this church, but the relationships inside the faith. And he's saying there that if you walk in the light, yet you act in a hateful way, there's a problem. So before we go on, I want to ask you this question. How is your relationship with others in the church? I doubt most of you, if not all of you, um, would say you hate someone. But do you act or even think in a hateful way? What does he mean by here by hate? Well, the dictionary definition says hate is a feeling of extreme hostility or distaste for another. I think we all understand that feeling of of dislike or aversion to someone or something. I mean, you may say you hate broccoli, and that's okay. When you place a name in there, or a person in there, and I don't, I don't care if it's someone you know closely or if it's someone who is an authority that you don't know. Oh, I hate my boss. Oh, I hate, I hate this person in politics. Hate is a strong thing to say. Hate can be active. In the way that we live, it can be something we say. It could be hateful words. It could be hateful actions. We can, we can, in our church here, we can speak gossip about someone. We were just talking about that in our growth group on, on Wednesday, that how often are our prayer requests hidden ways of gossiping? And we can, we can be hateful by, by spreading uh, rumors about someone else or, or saying something that is not true. We can, we can be hateful by, by, the, by uh, maybe making fun of someone else in the church, especially, uh, or, well, they're all wrong, but especially behind their back to someone else. So, oh, did you hear this about so-and-so? I cannot believe they did that. We can be hateful by, by being uh, hostile in the way that we interact with them. We can be hateful by laughing at someone, uh, e- even though it's not that they told a joke, that they did something that uh, made them look foolish. And these are all hateful expressions. Maybe it can even go as far as physical. Now, maybe it won't in the church. We can hate in those ways. But hate can also be expressed passively. It can be expressed by indifference, coldness, isolation, exclusion, an uncaring attitude towards other people. Someone has said that indifference is the cruelest form of hate. A hate that says, I don't really care about you. Oh, I'm going to ignore you. I might not come up to you and say mean things. I might not talk bad about you. I don't even know you exist. Because I'm indifferent. That is still hate. And John says something very interesting about those type of people. Look at verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. John says that the one who professes to be a Christian, but is characterized by hate, characterized by hate, I am not saying that we as Christians are never going to have times when we're, we're cruel. We are, because we're sinners. But what he's talking about here is someone who is characterized by hate. They're a mean person consistently. They're a person who is constantly putting people down. They're a person who walks into this church and all they care about is about five people and then the rest of the people here mean nothing to them. I'm talking about that type of person. What the scripture says is this. What John is telling us here is that you are demonstrating by such actions that you have never been born again. I heard a story about D.L. Moody, the, the preacher from Chicago, and 
Uh, he said he was walking the Chicago streets one day and, and he was verbally accosted by a man who be, came and began yelling at him. And, and he said to him, aren't, aren't you, aren't you D.L. Moody? And this, this man was, uh, as the story goes, was extremely drunk and, and Moody saw that and he was kind of stumbling over his words and, 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 and Moody's trying to calm him down and he's like, gets in his face and he goes, well, I'm one of your converts. Moody calmly responds and says, well, that must be true because you're certainly not one of the Lord's converts. Now, I don't know if I'd have the guts to say that to someone <laughs> right to their face, but, but Moody did, apparently. And I, I think what, what he what he's saying, was saying there is this. Does your life reflect that? John drives this point even further in verse, uh, excuse me, in verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. Then he says something interesting and does not know where he is going. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by saying he does not know where he is going? This, the word know there is an interesting one. It's, it's, not, it's not acquired knowledge, like by, by studying or, or, or something you learn by experience. No, this is a, it's a, a passive use of the word know, meaning that it is something that is, is placed upon you. It's, it's a knowledge that you did nothing to acquire. It's a knowledge given to you by, specifically, the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at this, what he's saying is this, is, is a person who is in, in darkness, a person who, who hates his brother, is in darkness, walks in darkness, and has not been guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe we as believers know intuitively where we're going. We know that we're not. This is, we talked in Sunday school about, about being ambassadors. And the idea of an ambassador is, is one who uh, is, is, specifically in the sense we're talking about, is one who is outside of the context of, of home. Is one who is, is dwelling in a land that is not their own. We know as believers, if we, if we study the Word of God and as the Spirit leads us, we know that this is, as the song goes, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. We know that our real home is, is in heaven. But what John is saying in this passage is this is not so with those who live un, that are unsaved and live their lives continually in a spirit of darkness. And darkness is what they have chosen. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in, in John chapter 14. Now, beginning part of this book is when, is when uh, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, and he talks about heaven. And, and then he comes to this point, and he says in, uh, to them, and you know the way where I am going. It's interesting that word know is the same word that we just saw in this passage. It's this passive knowing. You know the way that I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That we know the way because of our walk with Jesus. But what John is telling us in, in, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9 and 11 is this. Is that there is no such assurance for those who do not love the believers. Hear me again. I am not saying that believers can never have wrong thoughts about another believer. I am not saying that if you have one hateful thought you are condemned to hell. I'm not even saying if you have two hateful thoughts, you're condemned to hell. No, the idea here is one who is continually walking, meaning that their lifestyle is such a way that they are, they are brother haters. They habitually uh, show hate to the people around them uh, who claim Christ. One commentary said it this way, the brother hater has darkness as his habitual condition and as the atmosphere in which he lives and works and dwells. 
And then he goes on and he says, uh, John says this, if you look at the end of verse 11, and he says, um, if, if you walk in darkness, you do not know where you're going. Because why? Because the darkness has blinded your eyes. It's, it's deprived you of the power of sight. As you look throughout the Bible, uh, blindness is often an imagery to describe a person who is willingly, uh, or excuse me, unwillingly or unable to perceive the truth. It's, it describes those, you know, it says that Satan has blinded our eyes. He's put, he's put blinders on our eyes so we cannot see. And here that same description is given about one who hates his brother. So as believers, we are to love one another because God commanded, because Jesus was the example, uh, because we are not in darkness. Finally, believers are to love one another because they are in the light. Look back at verse 10. We skipped over it. In verse 10, he says this, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And here is the thrust of this whole message. And here's, here's the, 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 the important truth that I want you to begin to understand. A person who is in Christ. Okay, we talked about uh, those that say they're in Christ, but they don't act that way. But I want to talk about specifically a person who is in Christ, who is genuinely sa- saved, abides in the light, will love his brother. John MacArthur said it this way, because love is the, highest, is, uh, the saint's highest moral duty towards others, it is, not, it is not only the ultimate mark of a genuine salvation, but also provides the supreme assurance of that reality. That the, the, that the highest duty of man, the highest duty of one who has come in Christ is to love one another. We must strive to love others, meaning put their needs above our own. As I said in the beginning, this, this is not easy because it's easy to find reasons to dislike people, isn't it? I mean, we dislike some people because they're know-it-alls. You know what I'm talking about? No matter, no matter what story you tell, no matter what details you tell, they either have something to say to criticize or they have something to top it. This gets annoying after a while, doesn't it? We dislike people because they're nosy. They know everything. And they want to correct everything. We dislike people because they seem to have endless problems. They, they bore you over and over again with their complete list of issues that they have and, and how horrible their life is. We dislike people sometimes just because we dislike people. There's, a, there's an old rhyme. This is, this is humorous. There's an old rhyme that says this, I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. The reason why, I cannot tell. But this I know, and I know full well, I do not like thee, Mr. Fell. I think sometimes we're that way, aren't we? Ah, that person drives me nuts. Ah, I'm sick of that person. I don't like to be around them. That's why the Bible says that love covers it looks beyond. Verse 10 ends with a phrase that says, in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, commentators have, uh, are not unanimous on the meaning of this phrase. Some think that, it's that, that loving others protects uh, the one that is doing the loving from stumbling. Others believe that uh, loving others protects others from stumbling. Either way, the idea is this is that if we live in a way that is loving to others, we will actually impact others for Christ. I, I believe it was uh, Pastor Nate even prayed earlier that, that our love would be so infectious that the world around us will see we're different. And I want to be candid with you just for a few moments as I close. Two weeks ago I told you that our theme for this year is serving one another. Is, is to serve the church, serve uh, uh, our community, serve the world. But I don't think that we can tackle this idea of serving until we truly love one another. 
until you are fully invested in the lives of those around you. I'm going to do something, and maybe this is awkward, but I don't care. I want you to just take a few moments and look at who's around you. Just do it. I'm, I'm asking you to do it, so do it. Look around at the people around you. Now, some people right by you might be, hey, that might be your, your greatest loved one. And so uh, this question I'm about to ask is an easy one. But maybe it's someone you don't even know their name or you don't know anything about them. You don't know what they, they do. You don't, you, don't know, you don't I don't know. Are, are you sh- showing love to those around you? We're, we're a body of Christ. Meaning... That we're all one. Now, the, the body has various purposes and aspects of the body. Parts of the body have various purposes, but they all work together. And it's important that, that we understand that. It's important that we understand all parts of our body. Until we can serve together, we, uh, I mean, excuse me, until we love one another, we cannot serve together. And so I, I challenge you, are you showing love to those in the body? I challenged you two weeks ago that, uh, with, with a challenge, and maybe you forgot it, and if you did, I'm giving it to you again. And this is the challenge that I want for you. I want you to come in each week into this church, and I want you to find someone you don't normally talk to and go up to and begin to build a relationship with them. Because here's what will happen is when you begin to build a relationship with them, you will then d- grow a fondness with them. And, and then when they go through trial or you go through trial, guess who's going to be there for you? They are. I, I've seen this in a huge way in our growth group. Okay, we meet together every Wednesday night. We love being together as a group. And when someone in our group is going through a struggle... We all know about it. And we all step up and we're there for each other. And that is what we should be as a church. You say, well, the people of this church, you know, they're not friendly, they don't know me. No, the responsibility is, is not for everyone to love you. The responsibility is for you to love everyone. And love, then, as we go through this study of 1 John, we are going to see this, that love is something over and over again God commands, but you know what he tells us why he commands it? Because he is love. When you love, you serve. In closing, I just want to tell, tell you a story, and I've told bits and pieces of this story um, numerous other times. Uh, when I was in college, actually after I graduated from college, uh, my wife and I are going to be getting married um, about eight months later, and so uh, I was going to spend the first three months working at a camp in Wyoming. Uh, I had worked there two other summers, so I was excited about it, and um, I, I owned a truck at the time. And so me and another guy that were working at camp, we were going to drive my truck out to, actually we had to go to Idaho for a wedding, and then we were going to go down to Wyoming. Well, um, th- my truck was not very reliable, um, and my wife hated that truck because it cost us a lot. But um, when, we, uh, when we were driving through Wyoming, we were going uh, up this hill, heading into a town of, called Buffalo. Have you ever been to Wyoming? Maybe you know where that's at. We're heading up this hill. All of a sudden, we're going up the hill, and this truck starts sputtering. And pretty soon, I start seeing smoke come out. And I was like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And, and we got to the top of the hill. And then basically, we coasted our way all the way into town and right up to the door of a garage where it died. <laughs> and I walked in. This was, a, this was a Friday afternoon. And I walked into the mechanic. And I said, I said, we're traveling through. Is there any way you can look at my truck today and tell me what it needs to be done? And he said, sure, no problem. I, I've got a little time. I'll look at it. So he takes it. And he, he looks uh, at the car for about an hour. And, and he comes back. And he goes, uh, you cracked a head gasket. Okay, I have no idea about cars. So I'm like, okay, is that replaceable? How much is this going to cost? A few bucks? He goes, well, I can do it on Tuesday. And it's going to cost you $1,800. Now, let me tell you where I was at financially at that point. I had $200 to my name. Okay, this is not going to happen. 
I suddenly was like, what am I going to do? Not only do we have to get to Idaho for this wedding, we've got to get to camp, and I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I contacted the camp director, and he said, hey, you know, you know this guy, Seth Upton? I said, yeah, I know Seth. Seth was the guy I went to college with. He was uh, a friend of mine, and a real sweet guy, great guy. And, and he said, Seth uh, lives in Casper. Casper's about two and a half hours away. Seth will come up, and he'll tow your truck to where he lives, and, and he'll get it fixed. Okay. So we, we had to sleep in a campground that night, and that's what we could afford. And, and the next morning, Seth comes up. He pulls up with his uh, van, a big old van, like a work van with a trailer on the back. And so we put my truck up onto the trailer. We begin the two-and-a-half-hour drive down to uh, Casper, Wyoming, where he lived. On the way down, it's just story of stories, okay? On the way down, suddenly uh, a tire blows on his trailer. And so we get out, and we realize it's, you know, there's two tires on either side, but it, there was, it didn't have enough. He didn't have a spare. It didn't have enough uh, to support my truck. And so we took the truck off, put a rope on my truck, attached it to the trailer, which was attached to the van, and we began our way down the road. Okay, we get all the way there, and we get to uh, the place we're going, and, um, and he takes it to this mechanic, and his mechanic says, oh, I'm really backed up. I'll get to it in a month. Okay. Seth looks at us and says, where do you guys need to go? Well, we need to go to Idaho and then Wyoming. And we have no more money. (laughs) And Seth says, I'll take you. You don't have to do that, Seth. No, 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 I I would love to. You know, you guys are in a hard place and I'll take you. All right. So we drive up to Idaho, spend a couple days there for a wedding. Then we drive uh, over to Wyoming and then he drives home. And he says to me before he leaves, he said, when my, the mechanic gets it fixed, I'll let you know. Um, about a month and a half later, he calls me, he says, your truck is fixed. I said, Seth, how much is it going to cost me? He said, $500. Oh, boy, I still don't have $500, but I'll figure something out. And he says, I'll be there, uh, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. So the next day he comes up, he brings my truck up, and I said, I said Seth, I, I, I was able to scrounge together some money. I asked the camp to pay me ahead, which 500 isn't what they paid me, but it was enough, and it was something anyway. And I said, Seth, here, and Seth looks at me. Now, mind you, he's a college student just like me. He says, you don't have to worry about it. I paid for it. See, here's the thing. Is Seth was the type of guy who, who loved his brothers. And because of that, he, it wasn't a hard thing for him to sacrifice. It wasn't a hard thing for him to just give of himself for someone else. Let me ask you, do you love your brothers? Do you love those in here who are in Christ? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this passage we're grateful for your word and i pray that you will help us to love lord we know love takes work love is sacrifice love is giving up of ourselves and too often we're too focused on ourselves and when we're just focused on ourselves we're actually just doing the opposite of love we're showing hate So, Lord, I pray that you work in our lives. Convict us of where we have sin. And, Lord, help us to have the courage to begin living more loving lives for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.